Like I'm so disappointed in UVM for letting it get to this point because every single time I read one of those stories, I will see something that relates to my story or one of my friend's stories and it just like, it is always hitting home. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Sid Ovitz's life changed forever in November 2017. The student from Pittsfield, Massachusetts, was a freshman at the University of Vermont and was excited about her new classes and meeting new people. But in her first semester, Ovitz says she was sexually assaulted by a fellow student. When she reported the attack to UVM officials, a months-long ordeal followed that concluded with her alleged perpetrator being found not guilty. Ovitz's mental health deteriorated and her grades plummeted. Then, Ovid got angry. She spoke publicly and often about her experience of sexual violence at UVM, and her story was picked up in news reports. She launched a national campaign called Explain the Asterisk to require students convicted of sexual assault to have that reason noted on their transcript in case they transferred to another school. Other UVM students came to her with their own stories of sexual assault. Then last week, after another UVM student posted their experience of sexual violence, the student body erupted in outrage, grief, and solidarity. Scores of students have been posting on social media with their own accounts of surviving sexual violence. On Monday, thousands of UVM students walked out of class to protest sexual violence on campus and what they say is an inadequate response by the university. Sid Ovid and other survivors of sexual violence addressed their classmates. In response, the UVM administration has met with students and agreed to numerous demands put forth by student protest leaders. A UVM spokesperson issued a statement saying, quote, The goal is for these incidents to never happen in the first place, and when they do happen, to make sure that victims are fully supported and respondents receive a fair hearing and are held fully accountable when the circumstances warrant. Sid Ovid, now a senior at UVM and just a few weeks before graduating, agreed to share her story with the Vermont Conversation. Sid Ovid, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This has been uh, a pretty remarkable week with the protests against the university's response to sexual assault at UVM, and you've been at the center of this. What was the catalyst for the protests that happened Monday that brought out thousands of people? Yeah, of course. So it has been quite the week. It's been a really like hopeful and inspiring week. Um, a survivor from... Um, that had an experience at UVM. Their name is Athena. They shared their experience with reporting to Title IX on I think Sunday night, Monday morning, like that kind of area, um, kind of just detailing like a timeline of them being assaulted and reporting to Title IX and just how that experience went for them. And after that, more and more survivors from UVM started sharing their own experiences with sexual violence on campus and reporting to Title IX. I'm pretty sure all of it has happened on Instagram, like sharing photos with the caption. Um, they all went like viral on like UVM standard of viral, <laughs> which of course isn't much comparatively, but um, I've shared my own story and um, just like, it just really took off after that and really started this like campus wide conversation that's happening now. Would you mind sharing your story? Cause I know this issue is both personal and political for you. Right. So um, I'm a senior now and my freshman year, 
um, at the end of November, which is a part of that red zone is what we call it. It's like the first three to four months before Thanksgiving break um, is when the most sexual assaults happen on college campuses, like over 50% happen in those three months. Um, so I was a part of that <laughs> statistic, but um, I had been seeing someone off of Tinder, not like dating, but just like a couple of times. And um, he sexually assaulted me in his bedroom. Um, I was drunk and that definitely came into play when I reported to Title IX a couple months later. Um, I didn't have a very good experience with that. I had met with the campus victim advocate after one of my friends met with her and like had a good experience doing that. And I had a good experience meeting with the victim advocate. She like made me feel confident enough to, and like confident enough and supported enough to report to Title IX. Um, I honestly wasn't sure what that process was going to look like. And I know that it is different for everyone, but it was like really hard to find information even then on what that would look like. Um, so I reported to Title IX. Um, I was like almost immediately victim blamed in that situation. My investigator made a lot of inappropriate comments about my drinking and like how much I was drinking. Not in like, like I would understand if it was more like for a statistical or like a numerical kind of like information to try and gauge like how much alcohol that was or something. <laughs> um, but it was more of like with an undertone of like, wow, like you were really drinking a lot. And it was like falling on me instead of the fact that he was giving me alcohol. <laughs> um, she also like, I had a lot, like I remembered a lot of my like assault and she kept saying, oh, is that all? Is that all? And that was just like the first time that I met with her. I had to meet with her a lot of times after that. And once you start and like initiate a Title IX investigation, it gets open and it can't be closed. You can choose to like not be as involved in it, but once it's open, it's open. And I remember leaving that first like initial reporting time and just being like, wow, I really wish I didn't do that because I was already feeling like, like it was not worth it. Hmm. <laughs> and, um, that investigation was from like the beginning of February until June. So it was <laughs> really long. And the entire time I just felt like unsupported. Like I had a 1.5 GPA in my first semester. And so I asked if I could get help with like attendance and like, like not having to come from me and like explain my trauma to a teacher that I don't even know. And that was something that they said that I had to do on my own. And even like something simple like that, I was like, wow, like, I really have to do everything myself. And when you're going through something like that, like, one of the last things that you should have to worry about is like, making sure you get your attendance points in your classes and such. Um, but yeah, that's definitely it wasn't a good experience. And since then, I've done a lot of research on sexual violence work. At the time, I had been pretty convinced that um, the perpetrator in my case was going to be found responsible and dismissed because of like comments that the victim advocate and other people have said that like I had a strong case. So I was feeling more confident than I probably should have been, um, which is why I asked if he was to be suspended, like if he transferred schools, would they know about his history when they accepted him, which was what led me to um, create explain the asterisk, which was the investigator's response was like, oh, well, there'll be like a little asterisk that says that the student was dismissed, but never why unless actually that it, if it was an academic reason that would be on the transcript, but otherwise it's like clean slate. <laughs> well, first, let me just say, I'm, I'm so sorry. It sounds like a really 
terrible experience and story that you've endured. Um, what ultimately happened with this case? Um, and maybe you said that, but I missed the, the actual resolution. Yeah, so he was not found responsible. He hired a lawyer um, and well, his, him or his family hired a lawyer, I don't know. <laughs> um, but they actually had told me not to consult student legal services. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but um, I like had the burden of like going through these like hundred page documents within a couple of days myself. And I just got to a point where I was like, I don't care. I'm done. I know he's not going to be found responsible and I can't take the pressure of like that burden falling on me, especially when he had like this, like really like good paid a lot like lawyer that was like being paid to be devoted to like going through and digging through all these documents. So yeah, it definitely didn't work out in my favor. Um, but so it, he was found not responsible and that was that? Yep, that was that. that. <laughs> that's the end of the case and you were told to just carry on. Yeah, I remember being at work back home and getting the letter that was like him being found not responsible and just being like, okay, so that's it. There was no follow-up from the Title IX office, like no supports offered, like nothing. It was just like, oh, he's not found responsible and that was it. Explain for people who aren't familiar with this, what is the Title IX office? What is Title IX? I'll try my best. <laughs> um, so Title IX is like um, discrimination on the basis of sex. Also, like it could be like a transgender folks or like anything like that. Um, but the Affirmative Action and Equal Opportunity Office is like housed within the Title IX office, or maybe it's vice versa, um, but they investigate like sexual misconduct, dating, domestic violence, stalking, like, or like sexual harassment, like that bucket of crimes on like a campus-wide level and not a technically legal level. Can you explain for, as a student coming into UVM, what are you told about sexual assault? How are you educated about this when you arrive on campus? Well, not a lot. <laughs> um, I remember doing my freshman year before orientation, we had like an alcohol training and that kind of touched on sexual assault, but it was more on like the premise of like, don't get drunk or else you might get sexually assaulted. And it was this like online course thing that even I at the time was like, oh, I'm just gonna click through it so I can be done with it. And then, <laughs> which I'm sure most people do. Um, and then we had a, consent training during orientation. I remember being jam-packed in one of the buildings. It's like 90 degrees. You're just excited to be on campus for like one of the first times. And they showed us this video that was like, consent is like tea. Like if your friend doesn't want tea, don't give them tea. And it was like this short two minute video and no one was paying attention. There was no discussion. And that was the only like sexual assault consent related training that I've ever received. So not a lot. <laughs> so you uh, really transformed your trauma into activism. Um, when did that happen? And where? when did you decide that this was how you were going to take this experience going forward for you? Yeah, I definitely never expected it to get to the point that it's at right now. Um, but like I said, when I my investigator was like, oh, like there's no proof or there will be like nothing in his transfer materials that would say why he like he would just have a clean slate. That really 
like stuck with me for some reason and really bothered me, especially because one of my best friends like was sexually assaulted by someone who had come from another college and then he got kicked out from UVM again and he went to another college. So he was on his third college. And um, so like with that in mind and like everything that was going on with me, I just did a bunch of research on like transcript notations and that's what sparked explain the asterisk. That was where it like really started. It was this really specific goal of requiring colleges to like specifically differentiate reasons for dismissal not like to bar anyone from accessing education. I think that education is one of the greatest prevention tools that we have, but to just be like, okay, like we'll accept this student with this known history of sexual assault, but they're gonna have to do like a group for six weeks or they're gonna have to go to therapy for eight weeks, like that kind of like agreement. Um, but since then, I definitely broadened the kind of work that I do with Explain the Asterisks. Like a, a lot of just like, short little educational blurbs on Instagram and stuff like that. I've also been um, interning at the Vermont Network Against Sexual and Domestic Violence under the policy team this year, which has been great because I've definitely just learned to like broaden my view and really like look at things at like an intersectional way. Um, yeah, and I never thought it would get here, but um, the past like three and a half years, because I started Explain the Asterisk, I think in like March or April of my freshman year. So when I was like in the middle of my investigation um, and I just like very quickly became one of those voices on campus that like whenever someone experienced sexual assault and the victim's advocate was booked out for a couple weeks, they'd come to me and tell me like what happened to them and ask for support. And that's definitely kind of the role that I've been in for the past couple three, like three years, yeah. Let's bring it up to this week. I mean, you have been very courageously telling your story uh, for three years now. And what happened this week? What catalyzed this eruption of activism on campus? Yeah, I think with Athena's post, she specifically named the person that sexually assaulted her. And I, at that point, she had already known a couple of people that had been sexually assaulted by the same person. And I think that a lot of people saw their post and was like, were like, wow, like, I know that person or I know someone who knows that person and just like, were really amazed at how vulnerable they were being. And after that, like I said, a lot of people shared um, their own experiences, which just led to like, I've seen like probably 30 plus posts of people sharing their experiences publicly. And on every single one, like people are sharing and sharing and sharing, which is great. <laughs> um, and it definitely like raised awareness to how many people have had this experience. And a lot of those posts, like people were saying, like, I didn't realize what happened to me with sexual assault until I was reading someone else's story and I put it together, mm. which is like just another like lack of education point, honestly, because I know I've never learned, like I was never taught what consent looks like or what healthy sex looks like. And that really can like lead to these kinds of problems. And I think a lot of people, like a lot of perpetrators of violence might not even know that they are like sexually assaulting people because they have a completely different idea of what consent like does and doesn't look like. Like there's just so many things going on. <laughs> I've been reading these accounts on the Share Your Story UVM Instagram, as well as other places. Um, it's it's a really astonishing outpouring of grief and rage. Are you surprised by the volume and intensity of the 
kind of testimonies that are coming forth? I wish I could say I was, but like, like I said, like doing this on campus for so long, like I've heard so many of these stories and they're also painful and familiar that it's just like, I'm so disappointed in UVM for letting it get to this point because every single time I read one of those stories, I will see something that relates to my story or one of my friend's stories. And it just like, it is always hitting home and yeah, it's not as surprising as I wish it was. <laughs> so let's get to the demands that you have are making of UVM administration. What do you want them to do differently? Yeah, so when we first put out the demands, we really just wanted to like get some out there. So we've definitely thought of a lot since the official demands went out and they actually were agreed to yesterday. Um, quotes. <laughs> but um, one of the biggest things is more like support, such as more than one victim advocate. We've had the same victim advocate since the position was made at UVM. And like I said, like I had a great experience with her. I think she's great, but she's one person for 11,000 undergrad students. And like I've worked with Judy in the past and she'll send me students when she can't see someone for three weeks, which is like not how good can, for me or for her. <laughs> how can it be that somebody called an advocate can't see somebody for three weeks? I mean, right. you're in immediate crisis when you're the victim of an assault. Exactly. And that leads to survivors not getting the supports and like resources that they need. And that just leads to an even shittier experience for them down the road. Um, so that's one of the biggest demands that we were making. UVM said that they were not going to hire more victim advocates. They said... Um, they're going to work with HopeWorks to provide like a hotline, but HopeWorks already provides a hotline and kind of like the background for us. Another reason we needed more victim advocates was um, like Judy is a cis white woman and that's not completely accessible for people of different marginalized identities. Um, like even if they just like hired a person of color or um, someone that identifies as LGBTQ plus, like that makes it so much more accessible for people and to feel comfortable when they're sharing like their biggest traumas probably. Um, also, like we asked for an investigation into the Title IX office, which they agreed to, but they didn't explicitly say who would be doing that investigation. Cause obviously I don't think they should be investigating themselves. I don't think that's fair. Um, we also asked for, um, I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I'm curious, uh, I mean, investigating the Title IX office is a big, is a big demand and what are you hoping would come of that right i think um a lot of the posts that i've seen and with my own experience have named one of one specifically of the two investigators as being particularly um particularly biased against survivors and making like really inappropriate comments um for example she asked me why i didn't cry when i first reported because he was in tears when he stepped in the office for the first time and um I don't think, like, I think that that highlights that there's not a general understanding of trauma responses and how those vary for people. Um, so I understand that it is, it is a big ask, but I think if they were more like checks and balances within that system, and it's not just the same investigator, like making the same decisions for each case and like having people read over them, maybe like a board making that decision when it comes to like finding of responsibility instead of one individual would be good. You and met, I, you, uh, you and, and fellow student activists met with UVM administrators over the weekend. Tell me about that meeting. 
How Great. We're actually um, having a follow-up meeting tonight, so I can let you know how that goes. <laughs> um, but over the weekend, it was myself and um, one of the other people from the student advisory committee, and then a couple folks from SGA, the Student Government Association. And what I noticed as immediately like lacking was that it wasn't a survivor-centered conversation. Um, I was the only one that was publicly identifying as a survivor that was there. And I wasn't even invited there as being a survivor. I was invited there for my role on the advisory committee. And so multiple times in that conversation, I brought up like, you should be listening to survivors experiences. And um, the administrators that were there really had like an undertone of like, even in the first um, like email they sent out after the outcry began, it was like, well, we have to listen to both sides of the story. Like we can't say that we believe survivors because that's taking a side. And I have a lot of problems with that. Um, but there was a lot of just like nodding and saying, oh, you know, we're here to listen and saying that they'll look into the demands, but not exactly saying what that would look like. And we kept asking like, how feasible do you think these demands are? Like, do you think you can meet them? Like, what would that look like? And um, we got a lot of, we'll look into it and we think we'll be able to do it and not a lot of details at all. So I'm hoping that tonight we can tease out some of those details. I know that um, the UVM president sent out an email just within like an hour ago saying like, oh, like our deadline is the fall semester uh, for getting all of these done. But it's like, no, you need to get it done now. <laughs> and a lot of the reasons that they were saying they wouldn't like hire more people is because of money. But like, we know they have money because they're spending extra money to power wash all the chalk off <laughs> the sidewalks and the buildings. So there's a lot of like lack of transparency, I think. What is the chalk on the buildings and sidewalks? What's going on? So <laughs> yesterday and just like the past week, a lot of people brought chalk and were just writing like, believe survivors and like coercion equals sexual assault and UVM do better. And I know initially that some people were writing um, the person's name that Athena mentioned in their post, um, which I can understand his name having to be like power washed away, but they've been power washing away everything, even just like believe survivors, which I feel like is something really simple that they could have not erased. And I know a lot of people on like students, prospective students that have come on tours with their family have like put on Instagram and on social media that they ended up declining their offer to UVM because they saw the chalk that UVM like wasn't paying attention to their students. Talk about the tension between believe survivors and due process for somebody who's been accused. Right. I think I think we can believe and support survivors and what they're feeling and also support the idea of due process, like listening to both sides, but also validating someone's experience because, you know, I can experience something and see it one way and you could experience something and see it another way and that's okay. And there's a lot of things to tease out there. And I think a lot of people get out like very caught up in this idea of false accusations, especially when it comes to sexual assault. Um, but if you like look into the research and the details around that, like, it's like, I think two to eight or two to 10%, which is completely in line with like all crimes, like robbery, murder, you know, et cetera. Um, that's like the general false accusation rate. And especially like the title nine office, like, I don't know anyone that's had a good experience reporting there. And it's like, if someone's really going to take themselves 
to the Title IX office and knowingly put themselves through that, they're probably not lying. Right. It's a hard balance. <laughs> Rape and sexual assault are some of the most underreported crimes, so the statistics really don't tell us a lot about what is going on. But you know more. You hear from your classmates. What do you hear from classmates about the prevalence of sexual assault on campus? Yeah, I think a lot of people see it and don't know what to do, especially and like, you know, pre-COVID when parties were a lot more like happening, <laughs> um, people see it and don't know what to do, whether that's like people being like completely like belligerently drunk and being like let up the stairway by someone. Um, I think people know that it's happening, but don't know what to do. And a lot of that comes from, again, that like lack of education and just like, I think media tropes don't help with that either. Um, but I also through um, Expand the Asterisk has put out some surveys that are anonymous where people can share their experiences with UVM, uh, but also just like if they didn't report specifically. And I've been reading through those responses and they're heartbreaking, but they're so similar. Like there's so many people that are like, I didn't realize that it was sexual assault throughout until I was looking through your page and learned about sexual coercion. And stuff like that, where it's like people don't even realize what's happening to them because there is like, like people just don't know. Is there <laughs> is there a theme that jumps out for you as you read those accounts? I mean, I think there's a lot. I think the lack of support from UVM and the lack of education and just like simple things like making the Title IX like website in language that's like digestible because like I said, I've been doing this for years and I still can't understand a lot of the language that's on that website. And I understand kind of needing to balance like the legality of it and wanting it to be digestible. But if I can't understand it, like someone who's in crisis isn't going to be able to understand it either. <laughs> um, I also think like, aside from the lack of support and education, just like, um, like for the people that did report, like I mentioned myself, it just ends <laughs> and then there's there's no follow-up there's no like here's some resources if you need them here's an anonymous like feedback survey where you can tell us what you think like went well and what didn't like it just ends and you're just like left with this burden of like okay what am I supposed to do now like I have to go back to school and I'm gonna have to see this person on campus or maybe you won't <laughs> but so you're about to graduate um if one of your first jobs was to be the head of a college Title IX office. What would a model Title IX office look like that you would run? What would you be doing differently? I think a lot of things. <laughs> if I could start from scratch, I think having like a group of like two, probably two separate groups, but a group of survivors that have gone through that process that could really like, um, advise like what worked for them and what didn't and then maybe a separate group of people who were respondents and to see like how that went for them because like I said like both sides like it's a thing for both sides and both sides all sides deserve to be heard um I also think like implementing some kind of like feedback form and like really keeping up with the communication because lack of communication was one of the most difficult things because my investigator would be like oh you're gonna get this document on Tuesday. And then all of Tuesday, I'd be anxious all day to get this document. And then 
Tuesday would end and I wouldn't have it. It would be like Friday and she'd be like, oh, sorry, I'll send it to you on like Monday. So it's like, there's like not a constant line of communication there. And that just adds on to like an already really like stressful experience. What is your advice to college freshmen now? I think, sadly, I think learn as much as you can. I think everyone should learn as much as they can and just like try and speak with the administrators at your school because they're not going to do anything and they're not going to change anything unless students are asking those like difficult questions. And I mean, I didn't know anything about this before it happened to me. And even when, like after it happened to me, I was like, I literally have no idea what I'm supposed to do right now. <laughs> but I mean, what would be your advice in terms of prevention? I think education. I don't think that prevention should fall on survivors. I feel like a lot of this work is done by people who have experiences. I mean, I'm a great example of that. Um, but it really needs to be like everyone needs to be involved in this. And I also think it should be framed as an everyone issue. I think often when we're talking about sexual violence, it's framed as a woman's issue um, because it happens to women, but we don't talk about how it's a men's issue because like 80, 90 times, like 90% of the time it is perpetuated by men and that makes it a men's issue. So I think it's really important like how we frame things, especially when we're trying to educate people. <laughs> and what are your plans for after graduation? And let me also offer my congratulations on graduating UVM. You. <laughs> um, I want to continue and do um, policy work in the sexual domestic violence realm. I'm not sure where I might be heading um, to the Virginia State Coalition down there and work there, but it's up in the air. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I definitely am going to continue doing the work that I do, at least on like a minimal social media kind of slacktivism way. <laughs> Okay. Well, Sid Ovid, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much. Sid Ovid is a senior at the University of Vermont. She is the founder of Explain the Asterisk and a student organizer of demonstrations at UVM protesting sexual violence on campus.